Welcome back to another episode of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures League presented by 78 Sports. My name is Owen Shadrick. Matt Ferreira, good to see you, man. How you doing? Good to see you as well. For those on YouTube who are who are wondering, this uh, matching polo was not coordinated. Nope, it was not coordinated. We jumped on and discovered that we were wearing the same <laughs> shirt, which is fine. Futures League news for you. Happy 2024, as we discussed on the Ben Rice episode. That's a great episode if you want to take a look. We did have some MLB recap on our Futures League page. You can take a look at that. 13 former players played a major league game in 2023, including Jake Alou on May 9th. Josh Walker was called up by the New York Mets. And of course, Emma Sheehan, the Boston College and former New Britain Breeze product, was called up by the Los Angeles Dodgers and made some big starts for them at the end of the year. Included in that, of course, Zach Short, Sal Fralick, and Zach Eloff, who all played in 2023. And we got plenty of guys that are on the up and up in the minor leagues. Matt Shaw, who we talked to earlier this season, and Ben Rice as well. For this interview, though, we have the new manager of the Westfield Starfires. It's Paul Bonfilio. Really great to talk to him and get his perspective. And just you can feel his excitement through the camera about being the new manager of uh, Westfield, Matt. Yeah, for sure. He's very insightful. You can see that he's a brilliant baseball mind all around, just loves the game and always wants to learn more about it. And It was a great interview. Yeah, he wants to learn more about the game. We want to learn more about him. And in that case, we're going to take you to this interview. Here is Paul Bonfilio. We are honored to be joined by our next guest here on Back to the Futures. He is taking over the reins in 2024 in Westfield. It's it's Paul Bonfilio. Coach, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Um, oh, and if, if I think I think I got this right, I think this is episode 125. Uh, that's a big deal, man. You've been here since day one. I just want to congratulate you on all your time. You've really elevated the Futures League with your content. Uh, you've had great guests on and great shows. So, you know, you've done well, and I hope you're around for a long time to to help out this league and, and be a part of it. So, but thank you very much. On behalf of everyone from the Starfires, thank you. Right, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, 125 episodes feels like it's been like six, but here we are. We're on episode eight of season or episode seven of season eight. So we've come a long way, we've come a long way. Yeah. Um. So, to you, first question right off the bat, what was your reaction when you found out you were going to be the manager of the Starfires? Uh, it was obviously great. I mean, it it certainly feels great when somebody chooses you like that, um, when they, you know, when they kind of show you that they have the confidence in your ability. Um, we had some strong applicants, and I know that Hunter gave, you know, all those applicants considerable consideration. Um, and, and they deserved it. So, I mean, Hunter is really serious about what he does and, and he takes his job very seriously. He's great at what he does. He's got a, you know, a reputation to uphold. And I can tell you, he definitely, this was not just a shoe in. Um, he kind of took a little bit too long from liking it, if I'm being honest, <laughs> but that's what he does. Like he crosses, you know, the T's and dots the I's and that's what makes Hunter Hunter. Um, so I was very thankful about that. I know that there were some players from the 22 and 23 teams, um, that I coached on that, you know, sort of vouched for me and my ability to coach and sort of the relationships that we had, um, around the game. Um, so that was awesome too. Um, and then there's also an element that, you know, I work really, really hard and I got to tell you, even in that moment when they told me, like, I was like, Oh boy, here we go. Like I just spent a lot of time and a lot of effort doing, you know, making sure that I'm very good at what I do. Um, and it just, it's, it takes a lot of energy. And so I know, you know, why eyes wide open and what this is going to be like and what this is going to take and what it's going to demand. So it is a part of that too, but mostly it was just, you know, I'm very happy, very pleased that they chose me. And you talked a little bit about how hard you work perfecting your craft and even learning along the way, but what do you believe you bring to this team as a manager? I'm well-rounded. Um, you know, I know a lot about the game of baseball and from, from a technical as aspect, whether it's pitching, um, hitting, base running, you know, defense, 
Um, but then there are other elements that I also think a good manager needs, a good leader needs. Um, you know, I work at a high school where I'm very much involved with like student engagement and sort of the, the people, the social, the psychosocial aspect of, you know, running a baseball uh, team and leading a baseball team of sort of get those skills too. There's a business component that I have. Um, I've seen the game from multiple angles. I've been a baseball journalist. I've been, uh, uh, you know, I've worked in marketing in the baseball field. Um, there's just a lot. There's a lot there. And, you know, I see the game from every angle. Um, and I just feel like the environment and the culture that I could build here is one that's conducive to um, developmental success and even winning. Yeah, that's great. And obviously you learned what it was like to coach in the Futures League when you were a bench coach for Westfield last year under Kyle Dombrowski. What's your relationship yep. like with him and what did you learn as a bench coach last year? Uh, Kyle's great. You know, Kyle, you know, I think first of all, the, th the thing that, you know, when I think about what I kind of learned from Kyle more than anything is like, you know, Kyle loved and loves the Futures League. Um, you know, as many times we'd go show up to the field at like two and we'd be there until 11 o'clock at night. And then we go back to his apartment, um, or our apartment and, um, you know, he dropped some stuff off in his room and he'd come out and he'd sit down. We would watch like futures league network and we'd watch all the teams and, you know, Kyle just knew the players in the league. He, you know, he knew, um, the managers, he respected everyone. Um, but most importantly, like he had a lot of respect for, and still does for the futures league. So I think that's important. You know, I think that's something that, you know, if you're going to engage in this, you should, you should have the respect and, and kind of honor the league. Um, and certainly I think that the league deserves that. I mean, it's a great league. It's one of the best, you know, collegiate leagues in, in, the, in the country. And, um, you know, I think it's important to, to have that kind of perspective. Um, when it comes to like hitting stuff, like Kyle is a great hitting coach. Um, and sort of, he thinks about hitting maybe a little bit different than I do, which was awesome to work alongside him. You know, when Kyle thinks about hitting, he often thinks about like, um, like ground force and connection, posture, direction, um, and form. You know, Kyle's probably going to see this. I hope I got it right, buddy. But um, I'm a little bit different. I guess I would say that I'm more old school where like my default, like where I start to build the swing is more like vision, timing, balance, and probably efficiency. Um, you know, I learned that through like Rich Cordani, who played at LSU in 91, won a national championship under Skip Bertman. And he also learned that from a guy named Harvey Krupnik, who's like a Tri-Valley legend. Uh, he played like amateur baseball until he was like 60 and like hit 400 until he was 60. So Harvey knew a lot about baseball and a lot about hitting. And so that's, you know, that's the kind of lineage that I have. Um, but Kyle was great in that, like he let me kind of do what I do and I let him certainly do what he does. And um, I think both of our styles worked. He never was like, you know, don't talk to my guys. I kind of knew just, being an assistant for a while like if he's working with a bunch of guys a lot like let them work their stuff out um go find some other guys to, to figure their stuff out so i just think in that in that terms kyle's a great hitting coach and we work really well together so you know um i learned that about with kyle and then there was another part where like you know i'm I'm big on like posture around the field, like how you like carry yourself around the field. Um, kind of, I sometimes I call it uh, command presence. And so I came into my time with the, with the star fires thinking that like, that was very important. Um, and when I got here almost immediately, Denver was like, I believe that too. Like that's important for me too. So we would talk about that often around, around the game. And I think it just helped me solidify that that was something that was important. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I like working under Kyle a lot and uh, yeah, he's a good coach and he's going to do great things. 
Yeah, that's great. And it's so important to have that relationship between the two of you. And that's definitely not new, unique to the rest of the Futures League, where there's plenty of coaches who get along well with their staff. But I want to ask, what makes the Starfires different from the other teams around the Futures League? Yeah, I think it's just community. Um, you know, I think a lot of people and a lot of teams could talk to you at great length about the kind of community that they have and how special it is. But you know, Westfield's a, like a smaller city. It's not as dense. Um, the people that come out are kind of like family. I don't know. It's like, a, it's you know, you know who's showing up sometimes. And, you know, I just think that the way that the, the team operates, it kind of operates as a catalyst for community and community connection in Westfield in a way that I don't think it, I don't think it's the same anywhere else. So, um you know, I don't know that it's a focal point of the community, but it's kind of kind of really is a pillar of the community. Um, you know, when you get off the pike and you, you go down to Bullens, you know, you're passing signs with like Starfire, you know, banners up uh, as you come into town. And that's kind of what it is, man. It's just a special connection that we have with community. So I think it's just different. We've talked a little bit about your previous titles with the Starfires. What's your relationship like with the owner, Chris Thompson? Man, Chris is great. Um, I, you know, I like to refer to him simply as Mr. Thompson. Uh, I just have so much respect for him. Um, you know, I think like as a businessman, he's super sharp. Like I said, he's very clearly seeing the Starfires as an opportunity to build community within this community that he loves, like he's from there. And, you know, he values all those relationships and all those things about his community so much. And for him to add an element there, I think is really special to him. And I see that in him and he's so genuine. Uh, he's a great guy. He's an awesome dad. And, you know, that's just the kind of people that you want to work with and work under. He's just a great dude. And I also want to move on a little bit to the upcoming season as a former assistant coach yourself. How is it, how important is it to you to surround yourself with a good staff of coaches and taking your time to get your guy? Um, Hmm. Well, I don't think it's important to take my time to get my guy. I think if I know who my guy is, like I'm going to pull the trigger real quick. Um, so I think I have like an ability to kind of assess that. And I just want to get our dudes in, in place as quickly as I can and sort of build up the system that, you know, we need to have in place in order to coach better and communicate better um, and operate better. So um, for me, you know, quick is fine if I can get my guy and I, I'll know who that is um, when I see him. So um, what was the other question? What was the other aspect of that? the importance of um, just getting a good staff of coaches. Yeah. I mean, it's so things are so much, there's so many kids, right? Like there's so many players, you get 40 players, you need coverage. You know, these kids come here looking to get better and you need as many hands on deck to help them achieve that. So, you know, you owe it to the players to get guys in here who can work with them and help them get better. So having a great staff, a robust staff that has, you know, I think everyone here should be kind of an expert in baseball overall, but I think if they have some strong, um, some strengths, you know, we'll leverage that and, and help our players um, in those particular areas. So it is important. And, um, you know, I can't wait to build out my staff. And you talked about um, the trigger of like, if you find your guy, your snap, you got him, you're trying to get him. Do you believe that sometimes finding someone quicker is more beneficial because it allows your coaches to build the relationships with the players and the other personnel on the team? Yeah, I mean, so generally, yes. But I think in this league, um, you know, we kind of want to be hands off. They, they need to be really focused on their, their you know, spring college season. And, and so building the relationship part, that was going to come later. It has to. So, you know, you got to respect what they got to do their work and the, the focus that they have um, with their colleges. Um, so, 
that that's not really something that um, I'm particularly like valuing. Um, but certainly the discussion about how we build relationships once the players get in here, that's the important part. Yeah, that's great. And then back to coaches for a minute. When you're building your staff, what qualities are you looking for in an assistant coach to fill specific spots, pitching coach, bench coach, whatever it may be, when you're trying to develop your full staff? Um, they got to be guys that are prepared. Like they have to have a system that's in place. It's I've got to see it. Like it's got to be written down, whether that's like charts or some something else in terms of it's going to show me like what, you know, like I don't, I don't you call it like a lesson plan or whatever, but you know, something that shows me that they have an established knowledge of how to begin to implement the things that they want to implement. Um, that's important to me. And then I just want to, I just want some effective communicators, guys who know how to communicate with players and, and how to help them um, get the message. Sometimes the message is, more often than not, the message is kind of succinct and it's efficient. Um, how to do that. That, 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 that to me probably is, you know, the most important aspect of, um, of coaching. Uh, and then certainly you want to see that they know, they know something about the game and they know um, certain aspects of, of the game, but also that they're active learners. Like they're, they're out there learning still, you know, you want to hear them talk about some of the, methodologies that are often being talked about, whether it's on baseball, Twitter, or Instagram or whatever, like you want to see that they're still engaged and just trying to get better and they don't feel like, you know, they know it all. So that's important too. And on the top of your answer right there, you just touched upon how you look for the preparation of your assistant coaches. What's the preparation like for you in a season change when you go from an assistant to a head coach? Yeah, it's just it's just a lot more like the, the charts that are laid out. It's getting your your roster and starting to profile each guy, trying to figure out like what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, um, so that when they get in here, you can kind of address maybe some of the issues that they're having. Um, part of it is like I'm helping Hunter uh, pick and choose like who's on the roster, and I'm I'm definitely grateful for that opportunity um you know it gives gives you a sense of ownership with what's going on here and you know um so that's important and um uh, you know mostly it's it's preparing with with sheets and get and getting the ducks in a row to make sure that when the kids come in that you're ready to go um you know you have practice plans for your first particularly like two days before the season starts stuff like that and we talk about, and that's great. That's important to be prepared. As you said, you want your assistant coaches to be prepared. You expect the same for yourself. Um, but the one thing I ask most Starfires that come on this podcast is about Bullen's magic. And it's it's there, it's apparent, but I want to know what's your biggest example that you've seen of Bullen's magic. Um, so I think probably like 95% of the people not affiliated with our organization, I thought that this was a marketing ploy coming in and it's not, uh, it's real. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, it's like the intimate aspect of the crowd. Um, the, the fans are right on top of you at our stadium. Like, and when we're able to pack them in and, and we get some, you know, some big crowds in there, I feel like we have the, greatest home field advantage in the league. So sort of that intensity there, um, I think it's as good of an environment in the FCBL as there is. Um, and then, so something that I've seen there, I mean, two years ago, we were coming down the stretch. We were fighting for that last last playoff spot. It's a little bit, we almost had a shot at the three, I think, but it's mostly that last playoff spot. And, um, I think we were playing Pittsfield um, and I think they were up two or three. We had the bases loaded with two outs and right-handed hitter jam shot towards the shortstop. I've never seen this ever. And I think this was even possible. And, you know, the shortstop kind of took a step back and then he came in, realized he wasn't going to be able to get it. So we slowed down a little bit 
The ball landed maybe like four feet in front of his feet. It's probably like a little bit in front of like the, the midline between, you know, it was stretching from second base to third base. The ball spun. It rolled away from him for, towards the first cut. It hit the edge and then it shot all the way past the shortstop to his left and reached um, the outfield. And it's not like we had a huge lip there in, 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 you know, in that first cut. So I think every single runner on base scored on this play. And it was just the most wild thing I've ever seen in my life. Like I said, I didn't even think that was possible. Like, I don't even know how that happens. And it was just a crucial time in that game. And it helped us win that game. So I've never seen anything like that. There's other stuff that I've seen in that field that I'm like, well, you know, how'd that happen? So it's just a cool thing, I, you know. I have a saying like when things get dramatic, Bullens brings the magic. And that's just how it is. That's great. When things get dramatic, Bullens brings the magic. We like that. And yep. it's like it's weird to say, but that's probably not even like the craziest story we've heard on here. But it's just that's just another day at Bullens Field. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, we'll get right back to Back to the Futures. But first, we want to share a message from our friends at 78 Sports. Do you have kids playing baseball or softball? We all know practice time is limited, especially here in New England, not to mention the cost of lessons and cage time can add up very quickly. Save yourself time and money by giving your kids what they need to work on their game at home. Our friends at 78 Sports can help you put together the perfect at-home training setup. Whether you want to start small with just a tee and a net, or looking to set up a full cage with turf and a pitching machine, they have you covered. And I've used their stuff before, I've seen their facilities, they definitely cover everything. The team at 78 Sports design and install hundreds of at-home and commercial sports training facilities, so let them help you find the perfect setup for your space. Visit the 78 Sports website at 78sports.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, the number eight, sports.com. For a limited time only, by just mentioning Back to the Futures, you'll receive a 10% discount off your order. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-Y, number eight, sports.com. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. And then I want to ask about your other ventures, too, other than coaching. We did our research. Yep. We stumbled upon your Twitter and your website, Baseball, which is, uh, as you call it, a base path to success for baseball players. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, baseball, what you hope to accomplish with these players and what motivated you to start the page? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's really focused in player development, but there's a consultancy aspect to it. Um, there are some things that I outsource to, to, um, like experts in the fields of marketing and stuff like that and business development. I'll bring them in to help, um, certain clients, but, um, it's mostly player development and it's just really, you know, it's an attempt to sort of take everything that I've learned in the game through, like I said, the marketing and the journalism and, and all that stuff. And, and also in the education and um, psychology aspect and, and bring it all into one place where, you know, baseball people can kind of get my expertise on that and I can, I can help people. So, you know, I think it started, like I have a coach up page. I don't know if you guys know coach up, but essentially it funnels players to you. And I was doing that for a while and I had success. And then we brought a lot of like young, young players, like 10 to 14 in. And I brought them, I kind of absorbed them with this uh, venture. And then over time, I've sort of gotten away from more of the youth coaching, but um, no, like I said, it's been, you know, it's still very much like a fledgling operation. And, um, but I think that over time we can build it up and, you know, we can really help the people that need development and need some kind of uh, business help. Yeah, that's great. And I want to go through those solutions too, because it's a lot of things that I feel like that you can teach as a coach. So what are some of the key solutions that you have come up with that coaches couldn't take into consideration when they're a head coach, a bench coach, whatever it may be? Yeah. So the biggest thing is that rest restoration aspect where, you know, it's conflict resolution. Um, but it's like relationship, um, uh, restoration to me, that's huge. Um, like I'll give you an example, like Alex Verdugo with the Red Sox, um, 
not a client, you know, the, the issues that he was having sort of with that, with, you know, core. And I think probably with the, the team in general, I think a lot of that stuff could have been solved. And, and so in professional sports like that, you know, the Red Sox have lost out. They've lost out on a very good player. I don't think that they've gotten back like what they give, what they're giving away. And that happens a lot in sports. Like you have guys that your relationship sours, then, you know, you want to call them like a, like a bad weed and you got to like pluck them out and, you know, you lose when that happens. So when, when there's conflict like that in, in the athletic space, you don't win, you lose. So, you know, for me, being able to talk through that kind of stuff and, and work with players and sort of get them on the right, um, you know, frame of mind is really important both to that person and the organization as a whole. So as a manager, like that stuff happens all the time. You know, it's not black and white. It's not necessarily even layered. There's entanglements or whatever you want to call it. And you got to be able to work through that. You can't just cast guys out. So I just think, you know, you're working with, you know, a segment of the population that they're not fully mature yet. Um, in the psych world, you refer to like Piaget's fourth stage of cognitive development. And they're just not, they're not like adults, full functioning, you know, cognitive adults yet. There's still things that they do that are kind of dumb. <laughs> and there are things that even grownups and, and, and managers do that are kind of dumb. And you gotta, you gotta recognize that and, and all that stuff. So that's a big part of like the implementation in managing is, is enormous. And I just think, you know, when we think about baseball, we think about like the, the player development, we think about maybe like the mental development or the culture development, but we oftentimes leave out the people and the people development. And that's, I, I, there's no way that can be right. Like people are, that, that has to take up more of the pie. So, you know, it's uh it's something that more people need to, to consider. And I feel like, you know, you talked about like, what do I bring to the table? Well, that's one of the things that I think I bring. I think I bring this kind of knowledge where I can build a culture that's not just, you know, uh, disciplinary, but it's also kind of restorative too. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, we're both Red Sox fans and that the Verdugo thing hurt. He's a fan favorite. And now he's, he, they're both John at each other during interviews. It's tough to see. Yeah, it is. And I want to move on a little bit to your playing days. You played college baseball at Framingham State. What was your time like there? Um, it was a struggling program, to be honest with you, when I, when I was in there. Um, it's, you know, the, this past season, the, the team had um, did a really good job, and there's been some coaches in there that have had success since the coach that I had left. Um yeah, it was, it was a struggle. It was definitely a struggle to get guys on the same page. Um, you know, I know that I worked really hard. Um, maybe that sounds kind of bad, but, you know, I know I worked hard. I tried to get other guys around me to work hard. And it's just one of those things it was hard to do. Um, you know, I think there's a reason why the coach left. I don't, I don't think the, the coach was supporting sort of the program the way that they needed to. So it was very, it was a difficult deal, but, you know, to be honest with you, more importantly, the education that I got there was phenomenal. And I had great, great professors, professors that went to Harvard and MIT and, you know, McGill and all, all kinds of awesome, what people think are awesome universities. So, yeah, and I'm a proud alum of Framingham State. It's the most venerable teaching university uh, in the Northeast. You know, it's the alma mater of the greatest American teacher there's ever been, Krista McAuliffe, and just so proud to say that I went to the same, you know, university that she did. Um, and it's just a place where, you know, it's grounded, it's ethical, um, and, you know, it makes you, it makes you proud to say that you went to school there. And all that means more to me than what happened in, on the baseball side. I was able to make up for that later. Um, I got the, edu the baseball education that I needed um, working, you know, 
uh, as a journalist, getting into minor league baseball clubhouses and talking with big league managers and scouts and, and all that. So the education that I got was phenomenal though. And I just think that, you know, if we valued education in this country, the way that we should, um, you know, Framingham state would be considered like one of the best, you know, institutions of higher learning around. And in your time playing baseball and at Framingham, you would go on to play infield all around second base, shortstop, third base. Who were players that you idolized or molded your game after in your playing days? And um, I like Barry. So one of the things about growing up, I, I watched everybody. I loved, I would pick and choose guys. Like I knew who like went back on balls really well. You know, I knew who, who put together like really good at bats in terms of hitting the ball, the opposite field. So I was watching everybody you know, um, just kind of a student of the game. And so there wasn't a whole lot of Red Sox players from that kind of era. I just missed Pedroia, really. Um, well, I, I caught the, the very beginning of, it, of his career, I think. But, you know, that's who I would late go on later on to tell, like, my guys, like, play like Pedroia, watch Pedroia play. That's how you play. So, um, you know, my favorite player of all time is Kirby Puckett. Um, just love them. I love those like '90s baseball players. So, um, those those are the guys that I mostly molded my game after. It's funny you mentioned that because I'm right in the Dustin Pedroia era, and my favorite player growing up was always Nomar. Mm. I my whole family loved him, and anything about him, I wanted to be exactly like him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm more of a move on guy. Mm -hmm. I love Mo, big Mo man. What a good dude. So uh, that was my guy. Yeah, it was so fun watching all those players grow up and being able to model both of your games after guys that have played with the Red Sox and that you watched growing up. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And another one of the hats that you put on is the you are the head coach at Wayland High School. What has your experience been like there? Um, just developmentally, I thought it was awesome for me. Um, the kids works really, really hard. Um, it's just, a, it's the truth is it's not really a big baseball town. I think there's some work being done with the youth now that's, you know, building it up. Um, it's just a place where, you know, we're 800 or so kids going up against schools that are two and three times our size. You know, Lincoln Subway is a huge school. Boston Latin's a huge school, you know, even, you know, Acton Barksboro is actually decreased in size, but that's a big school. Newton South, all those division one schools, it's, it's hard to compete there. So, you know, you really test your metal. And I think that, you know, I came in there knowing that if I was able to have some success there, that, you know, it would kind of solidify my mind that I, I should be doing this and doing this for a long time. So, um, you know, we did have success and, you know, we did achieve things that the program hadn't achieved uh, in quite some time. So, but, you know, truly the players work really hard. It's a great academic community and, and the athletes put in a similar amount of time and energy and effort into their athletics that they do with their academics. Um, and I totally respected, you know, their their dedication and effort and uh you know the coaches that were there worked really hard and they were great and they worked well with the kids in a lot of ways they were precisely what those kids needed because i was kind of operating like a if, if you want to think about it in academic terms i was operating like a ap level high school baseball course and they needed they couldn't you know they needed like the college prep and the honors level baseball coaches because it was just system overload for them at times. And, you know, I got to be honest, I kind of probably wore them down a little bit. Um, and, but that just speaks to the kind of effort they, they hung in there. I demand a lot from, from the players and they hung in there and they were great and just great kids and great families too. So um, it was, it was a good experience. When looking back upon that time period, I guess, or still going, um, when you see these big, like you said, the big schools like a Boston Latin and 
what they do to get better compared to a small, like you said, a smaller town with less amount of population. Do you believe that the iron sharpening iron and playing against those bigger schools helps the growth and development of your players? A hundred percent. I think that um, there's no way that it doesn't, you know, I think you're right on, um, you know, I think that when Lincoln Sudbury was vying for state championships, so I, I coached at Newton South before I got to Wayland. And at that time, Lincoln Sudbury was like the top probably program in the state. Um, I think Kirk Fredericks had a lot to do with that. But I would say that at the time, the dual county league, the league that Lincoln Sudbury competes in, was stronger overall. I think we've lost a good deal of, of talent to private school, probably more so than other leagues and other areas. Um, and, you know, Lincoln Sudbury thrived in those conditions. Um, and, and it's not to say that Lincoln Sudbury isn't a good program now, they don't have a good coach now, or that, um, you know, they're not highly capable of success. But the league is a little bit down. And I think it's kind of shown with Lincoln Sudbury, but I hate to put Lincoln Sudbury on the spot like that, but I think that is the biggest um, example of steel sharpening steel and why that's important that we had in the dual County league. Now, with that being said, um, you know, Boston Latin reached a state final, I think in my first year there, uh, and they had really good success too. Westford Academy has had some very good teams that has um, done well, and they've had really good players come out of that program. But um, no, you're right. Definitely, you know, steel does sharpen steel. It's important. Before we return to Back to the Futures, we want to share a message from our friends at Zorian Back Company. Rob Zorian started the company, Zorian Back Company, in 2003, literally out of the trunk of his car in Davie, Florida. Within two years, he was selling his wood bat line to Major League Baseball and continues to manufacture the highest grade wood bats for Little League all the way up to the majors. Rob Zorian, founder and president of Zorian, says... I started the company in 2003 to service all baseball players in the United States and beyond. And after 19 years, our mission has not changed. We are very excited to have the opportunity to work with the Futures League and wish all of our players and coaches a healthy and successful season ahead. For more information about Zorian, visit their website, ZorianBats.com. Zorian, America's baseball brand. Now, back to Back to the Futures. You know, as I mentioned, you've worn a number of hats, including obviously high school coach and college coach. So what would you say the biggest difference is going from high school to the collegiate level? It's just the speed of the game. It's the, you know, it's the finer attention to detail um, that's required, you know, at the college level. Um, I've been really blessed with opportunities. Um, Coach Decker at Harvard is, you know, allowed me to, sometimes intermingle or, or say like attend practices um, and to be able to see that and kind of take that in has been really important to me. Just the, the, the speed aspect um, has been really important to me. Of course, just the overall like player development system operations, practice operations thing has also been very important to me too. But yeah, it's just a, it's just a higher level of, to, of detail. There's a lot more engagement and intensity with the players. There's a lot more. There's a lot fewer, like sort of downtime, kind of joking around interactions. Everyone's really working hard at the college level. There's there's something that is significant on the line. Something that they've dreamed of for a long time and that they aspire to. And you know the players just take the game very seriously and the kind of effort that they have is serious too. So, you know, it's just the focus, it's the demands, and, you know, it's the speed and attention and detail. Yeah, that's great. And I think actually it was Dombrowski who came in here and stressed the importance of speed of the game. So it's funny that you said that. Yeah, so Dembro talks a lot about slowing the game down, right? Or slowing the game, yeah, like speed in the opposite way, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you have to be able to do that uh, at the college level, um, you know, uh, we try to talk about like, what, what does that mean? Um, in terms of like preparedness, I, I like to think of it, um, 
is prioritizing things, having that priority in your head, um, such as like if you're playing second base, you know, what what are the things that you value with a runner on first in terms of the speed or pitch locations or spray chart or whatever, sort of putting that in a hierarchy. And there's probably like 10 different things in that hierarchy, but you really have to start eliminating some of those things um, and try to streamline some things and make things more efficient. Uh, baseball is the ultimate sport of efficiency. So if that's something that you can, you can do from a consistent standpoint, that'll help you slow down the game uh, significantly. So, but yeah, Dembro, he talks a lot about slowing the game down. Yes, he does. And from college coach to high school coach to another hat that you wore, which was journalist, which I think is such a unique perspective for you, who's not only played the game at a collegiate level and coached the game, but also covered the game from that perspective. So what's it like to kind of have that different view as a journalist and now being the manager of the Starfires? Man, I learned so much. Um, so let me let me preface this by saying, you know, I worked really hard in journalism. Uh, I had a, a journalism concentration in college, and um, you know, I wrote for some newspapers, and and I worked really hard at it, and I felt like I was a professional. Um, but in some ways, I felt like I was able to infiltrate like professional baseball uh, by being a journalist. Um, I would certainly ask journalistic questions like, um, you know, what do you think of so-and-so tonight, you know, and how do you look at the mound or whatever? And then, or maybe like you guys have won seven out of your last nine. What has the difference been from the, you know, the previous stretch or something like that? It's a very journalistic, journalistic question. Um, but I would ask like crazy, like just baseball specific questions. And I'll tell you like the managers and the assistant coaches and everyone, they love that. They, they would bring me in we'd sit down, I'd sit in their office and we would chat baseball. Like, like you couldn't believe they were just so generous. So like shout out Gary Allenson and Louise Rivera and, you know, uh, Bruce Crabb, just like, just so generous. Um, Kevin Bowles once the first time I ever went and saw, um, First time I ever went and covered the Paw Sox. After the game, I had mentioned something to, to Bulls about he was standing like up against the rail a lot with a runner on, um, like by his dugout. And I guess that's something that you'd see like in AU baseball or high school baseball where like you have to communicate something to the bench and you probably don't have an assistant coach or whatever. So that's sort of the way that he was setting up. And after the game, I asked him, like, um, like Skip, I saw you were standing over by, like, the dugout a lot tonight. Like, can you walk me through the positioning of that and, and why you do that? And so he sort of talked about, like, in that position there, you don't get as, as much top spin. Uh, down in the third base box, like, you're more inclined to get hit with balls. Um, and guys just generally don't pull it like that. Uh, in the position that he was. And then from there, he went on like a 25-minute lecture on all things about where to stand in, in the box and what are the certain situations. And I'm just sitting down there and it was like, like who else gets this? Like, how, like what kind of a – who else gets this kind of baseball education? And um, I just walked out of there like so thankful and so grateful. And, you know, it's just – it was just a special opportunity and I can't really thank those guys enough for it. Guys like even like Matt Gedman's dad. Uh, I talked with him a few times. He was awesome. Got to talk with a lot of the players, the New Hampshire Fisher cats were like the greatest, most generous players you could imagine, you know, talking to Darren Mestriani, who I think probably stole 30 plus bags in the minor leagues for four years straight about base stealing on the bench, like an hour before the game for half an hour, like, it's crazy. You know, it's just like, who gets that? And so just totally grateful for that. All the roving instructors, all the scouts that came through, just got to pick all their brains. Um, it's just a tremendous, um, like immense amount of baseball information. And so that's like something that I have an opportunity to talk about with the players and certain, certain things about 
you know, how to go about your business as a professional that I can impart with them, even though I didn't, I wasn't a professional baseball player. That's just special. And I, I'm just so thankful for that opportunity. And putting on your journalism and now manager hat, what are your expectations in Westfield for the 2024 season? Oh man, my expectations is effort. It's energy. It's extra. Um, my, you know, my, I, I feel like we have kids that are going to come in here that are going to be gung ho because they feel like they're getting in front of the scouts and they're, you know, trying to get to the next level. Um, and I'm going to work really hard with those guys. I also think that there are going to be guys in here that kind of need to take a, a breather. They need something in their life that's not as competitive or whatever as they've been experiencing their, in their, you know, college spring seasons. And I'll give them a little bit of that. Um, you know, it's something for everyone. Yeah. You, you know, every person's their own individual. And, you know, I think what they can expect is that I'm going to make an assessment um, and then I'm going to help them to the best that I possibly can. So, you know, um, it's just that flexibility and in, in terms of like journalism, whatever, it's just, it's going to be a great story and we're going to keep, we're going to keep our, our, our mind focused on the day to day, but we're also going to let the, the story play out and we're going to be very, you know, um, enthusiastic and appreciative of how the, the story unfolds. And for you, once again, like we've said multiple times, coach in high school, coach in the futures, played in college. What's your favorite or most unique a part about the Futures League? I love the grind. It's like I love the, 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 the car rides, the bus rides, going here, going there, walking into stadiums with the crew, walking out of stadiums. I like getting heckled. Like, I love that stuff. Like, when I dream as a kid of, like, you know, I didn't dream about hitting the big home run at Fenway Park and being, like, cheered. I dreamt about hitting the big home run in Yankee Stadium and getting booed. Like, that's the stuff that I, like, live for. Like, and so, for me, I think a lot of the things that kind of turn people away is actually the things that I embrace. And so, those are the things that I get an opportunity to see in the futures league. And I love it. I've, I've heard the booed thing so many times with the, like, um, seeing like players get interviewed about being booed at away stadiums. And they're like, I love it. Cause that means I'm doing my job. Well, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's, it's funny. It's hilarious. I went to Yankee stadium last year and it was actually Verdugo hit a home run. Like we were cheering and everybody else was booing. And I know he loved it specifically. Yeah. It's so funny that now he's on the other team, but I know. Yeah. Coach, this has been great so far. We got one final question for you to wrap it up. And it's probably the hardest one we're going to ask you. What is your okay. all time favorite baseball memory, whether it was coaching, playing as a journalist, whatever it may be. And yeah, that is tough. Um, can I give you like a, a summer ball? Like we're talking, you know, the future. Oh, heck yeah, of course you can. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I was playing um, in a league uh, in Eastern Mass, an amateur league. Um, yeah, it's kind of quirky. Like there was a situation where I was kind of struggling at the time. Um, I wasn't playing as much as I probably would have liked. I definitely wasn't hitting well. I was, I, I always had a great glove, but I wasn't hitting the way that I needed to hit to get in the lineup all the time. And um, so it was the bottom of the ninth. Uh, I was at the plate, bases loaded, um, two outs and a full count. And normally now, like I would never even look over at the third base coach. I just wouldn't do that. I'd be so locked in. Uh, but I peeked over there, and the late, great Harvey Suleman, I thought, gave me the bunt sign. And I'm like, and I just paused it, I put my head down, and I kind of went into the batter's box. And I'm not, like, 
I wasn't hidden well enough to be like, no, like I can't bunt here. Like, like you sure or whatever, or kind of like change it up or swing through the sign or whatever. And I was like, I, I, I've never been more scared in my life in that moment on the field. Um, I didn't want to screw it up. Um, and then I also thought like, what if he didn't give me the sign and I, I, I miss saw this and like, I go to bunt and I follow it back. Like how much my teammates would absolutely hate me. Um, so, so scared in the box. Um, no doubt about it. Like, I don't know if, if he threw me a ball that was like three feet over my head, I was probably going to try to bunt it. I was just like, so rattled. And fortunately I got a ball like that was close to the plate. And I put down the most beautiful, perfect bunt you've ever seen in your life to the right side, right in that like no man's land, that perfect baseball Bermuda triangle between first, second, and the pitcher's mound. And I probably could have jogged to first. That's how perfectly placed it was. Um, and I got in there at first base and I like was standing there and the dugout was like, every single player on the dugout had like their, like their jaw was dropped. They could not believe it. And it took like a few moments for them to like jump up and like come mob me on the field. And it was like the, their faces and like how they were just laughing their buns off. And like probably my favorite teammate ever is this guy named Chris Tapps Aldens. I don't know if you guys know Chris Tapps, but he, uh, he's the head coach at now um, Stevens Institute of Technology uh, right across from Manhattan, I think in Hoboken. And he just like picked me up and he was like smiling from ear to ear and like he couldn't stop like laughing and he was so giddy and like i don't know that's just like i, I love that team was an awesome team we had a bunch of good players on that team and that like allowed me to kind of like fit into the mold of the team a lot better and from there like it just made me so much calmer and i don't know that i like tore the cover off the ball the rest of the way i wish i could say that but i definitely felt like like I belonged and um, you know, that I was helping the team out, team out, but the, the, just the changes of emotion was like unreal. Just going from like so scared to pure jubilation. It was like nothing I've ever experienced before in my life. Coach, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. We wish you the best of luck in 2024 with the Starfires. We know you're going to kill it and we can't wait to see you at Bullens Field, man. Of course. This has been Season 8, Episode 7 of Back to the Futures, the official podcast of the Futures League. We have new episodes coming out all throughout the offseason. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see everyone soon.